0: Good morning, good afternoon. I know it's afternoon, but I haven't had lunch yet, so it's morning. That's how I roll. Um, January is nearly over. Hallelujah. Tell someone next to you, tell your face, January's nearly over. Yes.
1: (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: (laughs) Really good. I I, want to help us today uh, with a subject that I would call the theology of interruption. So we're taking these few weeks to look at the idea of the presence of God in the Bible. And today we're going to see one of the things is the presence of God often interrupts you when you're least expecting it. You know, that's what I said on Thursday when I was supposed to be doing the washing up. And then suddenly the presence of God came on me and I had to go and pray for a while. And Jess came home and shouted at me. And um, it was my excuse, but my teenagers can't use that excuse. But there is something about, in all reality, in, in, in the middle of life, suddenly... Sometimes the presence of God comes to us and we need to allow ourselves to be interrupted. Sometimes we just have this sense of like, oh, he's close now. And we need to, we need to take that. Um, and really the story we're gonna look at today, it's, it's like that. And sometimes in our lives in major ways, we think we're going this way and then God comes and there's, there's an interruption, there's a change of direction. And his plan is better than your plan, right? Because he knows the future and you don't. You've got a great plan. His plan is better. And so at times we have to allow ourselves to be interrupted uh, by the presence of God. Now, I know for English people, that sounds really rude. You don't interrupt people. That's like bad. Uh, Jess is South African. And the first time I went to meet her family... uh, you know, South Africans, they don't really leave breathing space in between words, let alone sentences, right? And so they're all talking, and I'm sitting waiting for my turn, <laughs> like a good polite boy, and my turn didn't come. And afterwards they said to her, your fiancé is very quiet. And I was like, well, I didn't want to interrupt my mother-in-law. you know." So, and then when I took Jess to meet my mum, who's quite English, um, I took Jess to meet my mum, and Jess is just talking, talking because she's waiting to be interrupted, and um, my mum won't interrupt. So it was a very strange day. And then afterwards, my mum said to me, Cool, well, your fiance is very talkative, isn't she? <laughs> and um, now I've learned how to interrupt my mother in law. And now she wishes I hadn't learned. <laughs> but this idea of you know God as one who interrupts, remember, God isn't English. And so he's not always going to wait politely for the chance to speak into your life. Sometimes God will come and bring an intervention because of his love, because of his kindness. And um, this is what we're going to see really in, in our story today. And I actually, uh, uh, just after one o'clock in the morning, my sleep was interrupted by the presence of God. And I, I felt the presence of God come on me in my sleep. And um, you have to allow yourself in those moments to be interrupted. And I felt some words in my head, so I reached for my phone and pressed record and... and and in the morning when I checked the words, I couldn't understand a thing I'd said, but I'm sure it was really inspired. But then I got up and I just I made a cup of tea and I was praying for you guys and praying you know, praying for this beloved church. And so at times we just have to allow the presence of God, right, to interrupt us and to come when we're least expecting him. And our story today, that's exactly what happens. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Just a few verses from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. So 2 Chronicles. Chapter 7 and verse 1. As Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests, they couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So it's the year 959 BC, and King Solomon, son of David, has uh, completed building this house for God. It's taken him seven years. He's spent lots of money. He's brought materials from all over the world and he's built this temple in Jerusalem, this house for God. And um, they've brought in the, the Ark of the Covenant from the tabernacle that, that David spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Remember, we're taking these few weeks to look at the fact that God has always had a way of being present with his people. And so uh, God was present in the Garden of Eden. And then David spoke to us about the tabernacle, the tent of God's presence. And wherever the people went, they took the tent with them and they took the presence of God with them. And now Solomon, 400 years later, has built a temple, a house for God. And they've brought the tabernacle and the ark of the government, they've put it in. So there's a, there's a continuity from generation to generation of God always being with his people, amen? which is why they sing his good and his love endures forever because they're singing about the enduring kindness of God to his people through generations. And um, the first kind of thing to look at here really is is this house that he's built. Um, Solomon's taken seven years to build it and he's dedicating the temple in the seventh month. And it reminds us quite a lot of creation because at the beginning of the world, God created everything in six days. He built a house for himself. He created the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, God entered the house that he had built to dwell there with humans. So it's like if I built a house, which I wouldn't have a clue. I'm sure there's a YouTube video about that kind of thing, or I've got a friend I could pay. But if I built a house, right, and I'd use bricks or pipes or whatever they use, bits of metal, build a house, uh, and then I'd go to Ikea and get a job lot of furniture and fill the house with stuff. When it was done, what would I do? I would go and sit in my new chair, and I'd be like, it's done. Now I get to live in the house that I've built. And that's, that's what happens in creation. God builds a house for him to dwell in with people, and he fills it with everything, animals and trees and everything beautiful. And then on day seven, the day of rest, God enters and dwells there with people. And so the purpose of creation is the presence of God. The purpose of all six days is day seven, right? And in the same way here, we have Solomon has built his temple. He's made it like a mini Eden or like a mini world, like a mini creation. If you, if you read all the details of the, of the temple... Um, it's got lots of like, carvings of plants. There's a lot of pomegranates going on. God seems to love a pomegranate in his house. Everyone, anyone got like, carvings of pomegranates in their house? Any God-like people here? No? Uh, you have. There you go. The most holy person in the room. And, um, and it's got these big um, candlesticks with branches. Like, they're supposed to represent like, the tree of life. Like that. And it's got um, this big bowl of water that they call the sea, because it's supposed to represent everything that God made, the world. And then it's like a mini world, and then the presence of God has to come in. So now Solomon's built the house, now he's dedicating it, now he needs God to come in and fill it with his presence. That's the whole point, right? And friends, in the same way with us, in anything that we build in our lives, let's make sure that we look for God to come and fill it. If you're building a family, you know, build the relationships, um, but look for God to come and fill those relationships. Uh, For me, when when, uh, I wanted to propose to Jess, like always in our lives, she was years ahead of me. She'd already decided God had spoken, what the plan for our life was, all of this stuff. I'm still a little bit slow, but I locked myself away to pray and fast. Because I was like, I want to hear. From, I want this to be filled with God. I want it to be the right thing. So I locked myself away. I prayed and fasted for three weeks. Uh, I didn't have a plan, but until God spoke to me, God spoke to me really clearly. I know you look at me and you think, can this guy fast? Yeah, it cost me because <laughs> I love my food, but I love my wife more, and I really want the presence of God to fill what I'm building with my family. Right? Um, it's the same if you're building. Uh, Anything. If, if, you, if you're into a new home, make sure that you look for God to come and be with you in that new home. If you are uh, trying to build a business, if you're stepping out into a new job, you know, don't just do the new job. Look for God to be in it. If you work in a creative space and you're, you're, you're making something creative, you know, look for God to be filling everything that you are doing. Does that make sense? You know, when, when I build a sermon. Yeah, I do my reading and my study or whatever, but most of it is praying for God to come and fill it. Otherwise, it's a pointless house, right? And so in anything that we do, in any endeavor, guys, um, make sure that you do it so that God can fill it. Make sure you do it so that God can come and be in it with you. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want you in it on on your own. He wants to be in it with you. Amen? And in verse 1, we read about the house, but in verse 2 we read that it's called the house of the Lord. So after God comes, it's not just the house, it's it's the house of the Lord, it's the Lord's house. Because God takes possession, He takes ownership, he takes responsibility for this house. And what we see is that he comes firstly as fire. So let's just read this. Um, As soon as Solomon was finishing his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So fire came down and consumed all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Fire is terrifying. It's uncontrollable. It's untamable. It's unstoppable. In the ancient world, they didn't have asbestos They didn't have fire extinguishers. They didn't have fire marshals and fire exits. And just because we're in the 21st century and we're praying for the fire of God to fall, and I don't know what will happen today, right? Um, We have our fire marshals on standby, and your fire exits are there, there, and there. And if you see the fire of God fall, just run out of that door and scream. But in all seriousness, in the ancient world... The idea of fire was terrifying, and they've built a house out of wood and linen and cloth. It's all highly flammable materials. And it's not just a little bit of tame fire that falls, like, here's my candle, magic little spark. It says it fell and it burned up all the sacrifices. Now, if you read the previous chapter, they've been sacrificing animals, getting ready for this moment, for days. For weeks, they've sacrificed thousands of animals, okay? I can see the vegetarians in the room cringing a little bit. There are carcasses of sacrificed animals piled up in the corner. They've brought offerings of grain and wine and valuable things, and they've piled them up. So there's like mountains of stuff. So when it says the fire came and burnt it all up, we're talking about a big fire. We're talking about a hot fire, Right? So, this is a scary intervention from God. This is a moment. And it goes back to Sinai when the the Ten Commandments were given and it says the people saw fire fall on the mountain and all the people were terrified. Of course they were. Like fire just fell on (laughs) them. Fire just fell on the mountain. Of course we're scared, right? It reminds us of the tabernacle being dedicated in Leviticus chapter 9 where they made the tabernacle, and then they prayed, and it says, fire fell, and it points forward to the day of Pentecost, when Jesus, who said, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, says, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and it was on their head like tongues of fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that uh, in a moment's time. I think the important thing to remember about Pentecost, if you had a little children's Bible and it had a little tame little flame on their head, no, 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 we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God coming and resting on people. And if you look at pictures of the disciples before the Holy Spirit came, like when they were with Jesus, they all had lots of hair, right? Like long, luscious hair. If you look at the... Um, pictures of the apostles as they're traveling the world and preaching the gospel, they're all bald. What happened? Well, the the fire of God fell on their heads. And um, before the Holy Spirit fell on me, I used to look like this. (laughs) And that's how you know that baldness is a sign of the anointing of God. (laughs) Amen, Jag. And in all seriousness, when, we, when we're talking about the fire of God, we are talking about something wild, scary. I'm going to tell you, the, my plan for today was actually to preach in a wig and then set it on fire, but I was told I couldn't do that. And after that, the disciples who are filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit are quite uncontrollable and they're always getting in trouble and they're kind of all over the place and getting arrested because that's what the fire of God does. Right Now, the last thing here about this idea of the fire falling, it says all the people kneeled down on the ground, on the pavement, and then they prayed. And this word for pavement, it's quite an unusual word uh, in your Bible. It kind of means the sort of the hot stones or the fire stones. So it's the word that we have in the Elijah story when it says an angel cooked bread for Elijah on hot stones, Or it's the word that we have in the Isaiah story where it says an angel took a hot stone from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips. So in other words, what's happened? The whole temple has become an altar and the people themselves are sacrifices on the hot stones of the altar. So it's not just that the fire has fallen on the the sacrifices, it's the people themselves are being presented to the presence of God. The fire comes and and purifies, makes it holy, brings the the presence of God. And then we read about the glory. Just turn to the person next to you and go, glory. Oh, guys, 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 guys. Toppy, that was pathetic. One more time. (laughs) Glory. There we go, right. Now, we read... Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple. So fire falling from heaven is vertical. Glory filling the house is horizontal, and it fills the house. And the word glory, is, it's a weird word. It's not a normal word that we use all the time. And it's an interesting word because the Hebrew word is kavod, which actually means weight, like heaviness. Okay, so you could say Andy McCulloch has a lot of kavod, right? Guys. <laughs> and, um, but, but it's used by people to mean kind of reputation or dignity or honor. And so... How does the reputation, the honor of God fill the house, and how do people see it? What does that look like? Well, we don't really know, but we know this. When it happens, the priests are interrupted. They can't enter. They can't do all the stuff that they'd planned. They'd planned all this lovely liturgy for this special day, and they can't do any of it. Can you imagine you're a little baby priest that day or whatever and you're so excited because today's dedication of the temple day and you've been practicing with the choir for weeks and you've been practicing blowing your trumpet and you've got your special priest outfit ready and um, you've got your lines memorized for the liturgy. All of that, your mum's there with her phone and all your aunties to film it ready for this special day of your performance. And when it comes to your turn... You can't even enter the temple because the glory of God has filled it. All that practice, all that preparation and planning was for nothing. (laughs) Because God came. Right? And it says all the people saw it. Now, the thing is, there have been multiple mentions of the word glory in the story up to this point in the book of Chronicles. But it's always the glory of Solomon, it keeps talking about the glory. Solomon had great glory. The queen of Sheba came from wherever Sheba is to visit him because of his great glory. You know, Solomon was so amazing and Solomon built this house for God. And even Solomon here in the story, you know, he's built himself a little platform at the front of the temple. There isn't supposed to be a platform there. He's built himself a platform. He's standing on it and he's praying this, oh God, look at this great house that I've built. Come and fill it with your presence. You know, and so there's something about Solomon's glory that gets mentioned all the time. And and the glory of God just comes and goes, Solomon, get out the way. God's coming. You see, Solomon's trying to summon God. God, here's the house that I've built. Come and fill it. God isn't a puppy dog. You can't summon God to come and do your bidding. If he comes... He comes as king. There can't be two kings. So King Solomon has to get out the way so that King God can come. Right? And so this story does not make Solomon look good. To be honest, in case you can't tell, I don't really like Solomon. He was born in a palace. He had lots of kind of lucky stuff in his life. But he's also very arrogant. I just I don't really like him. Um, and, but I think it's important to understand that the coming of God is not just a blessing of what Solomon's doing. In fact, it's more of an inter- intervention, an interruption. Like, I'm going to move Solomon out the way, I'm going to come. This is my house. And in the Bible, there's lots of stuff about Solomon that is not godly. Okay? He's got loads of wives and loads of concubines. What are concubines? Sex slaves. Oh, you go, in that culture, it was okay. Really? He builds the house on conscripted labor, so forced labor from people. Was that okay in the eyes of God? Not really. He, um, he marries Pharaoh's daughter. He brings the Egyptian princess and all her gods and her temple into the city. He builds a house for himself that's bigger than the house he built for God. There's lots about Solomon that's not okay. Why is that important? because the coming of the fire of god and the filling of the glory of god is not a reward or a vindication for solomon who's a good guy no god wants to come and be with his people and if solomon's a bad guy god will move him out the way he'll still going to come it's important for you because if you're here saying i want the presence of god but i'm not a very good person hey solomon wasn't do you understand So there's a grace thing here. God wants to come and be with his people. He wants to come and fill his house. You know, fire comes and burns up things and purifies them. If Solomon was perfect, he wouldn't need the fire to come and purify. We're not perfect. We need the fire of God. Purify, refine, burn out the impurities in us. And so we can have a confidence. God wants to come and be with his people. Even us can't stop him. Good news, eh? And so, in this story, Solomon doesn't look good. And if it's really God, he will probably move people and their egos out of the way because you can't have the glory of God and the glory of a woman or a man. He will not share his glory with another. And so, friends, beware Christian ministries that look good, right? Beware those shiny things you see sometimes on YouTube. There can be some good stuff, but beware if it's all shiny and it looks good. If God's really in it, the people will be very small and God will be very big. You understand? Solomon, you can build and plan and design, but you can't make fire fall from heaven. God's got to do that. And if it does, you'd better get out the way. You Understand? So... God, in a little way, I think, coming into the temple with his fire and with his glory, I think he's a little bit like the bailiffs. Now, I'm told, and obviously this isn't my experience, right? Just a friend of mine told me, if a bailiff comes to your house, don't let him in the door. Because if he comes in the door, he's going to take all your nice stuff. And I think the presence of God is a little bit like that more loving than the bailiffs wants the best for you but if you let god in he will take your nice stuff out the way because he wants it to be about him not about your nice stuff you understand if he comes he comes as king if he comes he comes as fire and he burns stuff up for your good because he knows what you need and what you don't need If you imagine your living room, your sitting room at home, okay, your lounge, and um, imagine your chair that you always sit in and your TV, right? Got it? And um, if you imagine God being in that room with you, where is he? What's he like? I'll tell you what he's not. He's not sitting in the corner by the fire in a chair curled up like a little pussycat, purring and bringing comfort. And occasionally when you feel sad, you can cuddle him. That's not how God comes. If God is in your lounge, he's not there as a pussycat, he's there as a lion. You're very aware that he's there. He's big. He fills the space. He gets in the way of you and your TV. <laughs> Oi, I can't, God, get out the right. If God comes, he comes, guys. And that's good news. Because he's good. But he's big. He's the king. He doesn't, we don't summon him. He's not tame. That's why this idea of fire and glory is so important in our understanding of God. And so first the fire burns stuff up, then the glory fills the space. And so fill is this spreading outward. word. And all the way through your Bible, the word fill is there. Yeah, so the glory of the Lord fills the heavens and the earth. Let the earth be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. So there's something about God that whatever space you put him in, he expands to fill it. So if you put God in a tent, he'll fill it. You put God in a temple, he'll fill it wall to wall. So much so that the priests can't get in. There's no room for priests because God's filled it, right? Right? You put God in your brain, he'll fill it. You put God in your heart, he'll fill it. And all of this points forward to Pentecost. So Jesus has been building a new house for God. We heard Mark read from 1 Peter at the beginning of the meeting. Jesus is building a new house for God, not out of stones, but out of people, living stones. He's been gathering them. And build into you're gonna be in my house now, made out of people. And then Pentecost moment in Acts chapter two is when God comes and takes possession of his house among his people. And we see when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It's an interruption, it's a suddenly. They're there, they're gathered, and suddenly God is filling the house. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So just like Sinai, just like the tabernacle, just like the temple, here at the day of Pentecost, God has come to his house, which is now his people. And he's come to fill them with his Holy Spirit, to be present with them. And there are two fillings. The entire house is filled, but also each individual is filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you had the fire of God come upon you? Has he kind of come and taken possession? Because then there continues to be a spreading out. These disciples, then they start getting in trouble all the time. They're saying things they shouldn't be saying, and in places they should, and they keep getting arrested, and stuff happens, and they heal people, and they get told off. And then in, in chapter five, we read they've filled the whole of Jerusalem. And by the end of Acts, we read they've filled the whole world. There's a filling that, you know, whatever space you put God in, He'll fill it, right? So there's a kind of an expanding. God comes as a baby in Jesus, squeezed in. And then Jesus grows. And God is with him wherever he goes. And then Jesus dies. And we think, what's happened to the presence of God? But then, with the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, the presence of God is in the church, is in the world. This fire is with us, friends. You understand? And um, what we're going to do now, these uh, dear musicians who've been here for a long time this morning are going to come and. um, They're gonna lead us in a song. We've got loads of time. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray for the presence of God, okay? Amongst us as a community, as his temple, as his house, we're saying, God, there's no point having a house unless you're owning it, unless you're dwelling in it, unless you're present in it, right? Uh, We're gonna pray for some individuals. This is gonna be a moment where people can move around Okay, so if you've got any leadership in the church uh, of any sort, please at this time have your eyes open, move around, go next to people, pray for them, bless them, encourage them. If you want to receive where you are, if you want to kneel down on the pavement of hot stones, if you want to come to the front, like ask someone for prayer. So I'll be up and down, the band are going to lead us, but we're just going to take some time now to invite the presence of God.